Hey, my name is Jensen, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. We're jumping into a new series called Moving Forward. We're really, we're, we're identifying some of the things in our life that, kind of some of the anchors, so to speak, that keep us, that sort of keep us stuck. I don't know about you, but sometimes there are just some things, some seasons in particular, I feel like I'm just sort of going through the motions, and I just, I feel a little stuck, and, and there's so many things that we could talk about as it relates to just moving forward, but more specifically, I want over the next few weeks to identify how do we let go of some of the grudges in our lives that keep us relationally, emotionally, mentally, and most importantly, even spiritually stuck. For instance, next week, we're going we're gonna to identify how do we move forward by, by forgiving God? You may be way more spiritual than me, you probably are, but, but, but like, I don't know about you, but sometimes like, I feel like God let me down. And, and, and how do we move forward when we feel like God didn't do, or he didn't do what we expected him to do, or he did something different than what we were hoping or praying for him to do? And just to kind of be theologically accurate, you can't really forgive God, because God doesn't sin, but, but, he, but we, we certainly need to learn how do we move forward when we feel like God has has let us down. And then in week number three, we're going to identify, how do we move forward by letting go of offense? Can we just be honest in here today? We are living in what feels like the most easily offended culture in society of all time. Like, like I was just offended last night. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, we are, we're just so easily offended. So, so we need to identify, because I think offense really does anchor us to the past, and it doesn't allow us to move forward. Then in week number four, which will be on July 3rd, which actually be online only, it's what we call a Sabbath Sunday. July 3rd will be a, we do these twice a year. And a, July 3rd will be our next Sabbath Sunday where we just, we take the weekend off. We're only online. We, we don't do anything in person. It's really an opportunity to give some reprieve and rest to all of our servant leaders who are just incredible. I'm telling you, we have some of the most incredible, selfless servant leaders here at Ethos. We, we say, we, we say often, we don't have, we don't have volunteers. We have servant leaders, leaders who serve and servants who who lead, and because we're a portable church, which means we set up and tear down every week, we want to give people an opportunity to rest every so often, and just truthfully, can I just be honest, July 3rd, most of y'all don't show up anyway, so it's a holiday weekend, so we're like, it's a good weekend to, to take off, you know, and I appreciate that weekend as well, and so, so we'll be online only that day, but that, we're going to be sharing that weekend about moving forward by forgiving ourselves, like, like sometimes I let myself down, in fact, I'd say that personally, I, I let myself down more than anybody else lets me down, and and sometimes I carry the weight and the shame that comes as a result of that. We, I want to talk about that, because I think a lot of you can relate with that as well. But, but today, before we jump into the future weeks, I, I want to I speak from a working title of moving forward by, by sitting down. If you're taking notes, just write that down. Kind of, maybe you even want to just call it moving forward by slowing down. I think the title itself probably speaks a bit to what we're going to talk about this morning, but... But I'll share with our servant leaders earlier during our team rally and just our time of prayer before service began. I was just, I was just telling them, I said, I said, really, some of what we're talking about this morning is something that I've been really kind of wrestling with, and for lack of a better way of saying, I've just sort of been meditating on since last November. This has come up within me quite a bit over the last seven, eight months now, and, and, and I've been looking forward to sharing this, but this is the first time I kind of feel like I have a, like a release, so to speak, like this is the right moment, kind of the right weekend to share this. And so I hope it helps you as much as it has been helping me, like present tense 
helping me. I, 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 I have a seven-year-old son, Judah, who is just an absolute ball of joy. Like, he's just so much fun. And Judah's really into, really into video games. In particular, he's, he's really into to Roblox. Anybody familiar with Roblox in here? Can I see your hands? Like, handful of you. For, Roblox is this online. <laughs> Lane raised his hand in the back, our production crew. That was really delayed, Lane, but thanks for letting me know. And, and <laughs> And it, Roblox is like an online video games, and there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of different like variations of these Roblox games. He loves in particular like the mazes, like where you gotta like go into this room and, I, and get these different utensils or, or clues, then go into the next room and try to identify how to kind of unlock the hidden door, like all of this. He's really into this. Every so often, he'll say, hey dad, can you play Roblox with me? Sure, son. There's nothing in this world I'd rather do than play Roblox, you know, like. And so we'll sit down at the computer and we'll start to play Roblox, and usually he always wants me to play a game that he has already beat, which is good because he knows then how to accomplish. He knows how to, how to complete the objective. But unfortunately, I'm not as good with like hitting X, then Y, then W on the keyboard, then up, then down, then left, then right, then doing a backflip off of the side wall all within three-tenths of the millisecond is what he is. Like, he's just a lot better than I am. And, and so naturally, my character will then fall and the game will reset, and I gotta start all over again. And usually this happens so many times, and eventually Judas starts to kind of get frustrated with me. He's like, Dad, come on, like, you can do better than this. Like... <laughs> I'm like, son, no, like, I can't. Like, I'm not Neo from the Matrix. Like, you can't just download within me how to complete this game. Like, that, like, this doesn't work this way, son. Like, and, and every time that he gives me instruction how to play this game, I'll, I'll often think to myself, like, Judah, it is a lot easier said than it is for your dad to do. Like, it's just easier said than it is done, which, which is like a lot of things in life, right? Like, there's a lot of good advice that friends give us, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of great authority even that Jesus speaks with, that the scriptures reveal to us. And as we read them, so, so many times you're like, man, that, that sounds so good on paper, but it, it, just, it just seems like it's a lot easier said than it is done. Did, did you know that the most common command in all of the Bible, you know what it is? Don't be afraid. Some variation of, hey, don't worry, be anxious for nothing, don't be afraid, you got this. In fact, over 350 times we see some variation of this command within the scripture, and yet, and yet, not being afraid, not worrying, not being anxious, it is a lot easier said that it is done. And of course, it doesn't take much today to understand why, that there's, why, why are there such heightened levels of fear and anxiety all around us today? I mean, it feels like there are so many, it almost feels like it's irresponsible not to be a little anxious. It almost feels like we're even taught, like you ought to be a little concerned about this. I mean, we, we, we don't have to look too much further than just inflation and what's happening right now. Like, dear God, $5 a gallon for gas? Like, come on, somebody. Like, it's a, that's a lot. Like, I don't know about you, but right now I'm like, all right, well, if we drive there, that's going to be $7.33. Like, you know, it's not worth it. So, but like, it, doesn't, it just doesn't take much for our anxiety to, to grow, to increase. We, we got the, the, the housing market and inflation. We've got... 
We've got just, just the, the wars and even just rumors of increased wars, shooting, and then just, just politics in general that kind of weaves itself within, every, within everything it possibly can and all the division that comes with that. Cancel culture, like, like maybe, you're, maybe, maybe you're different than me, but like there's been times like I've just been afraid of being canceled. Like I'm just, I'm just, sometimes I'm afraid of like, yo, somebody's just gonna cut me off. Like it's just, and it feels like there's just this increasing anxiety. That's just at a macro level, but even just in your own personal life, there's just challenges in your relationships, there's stresses with your education. Come on, parents, there's, there's stresses with our kids as they're going to school and what should we get them involved in? What should we, what should we not? Like, should we take that promotion? Should we not? What job should we get? Which job shouldn't we get? Where should I go to school after I graduate high school? There's just so many stressors and major decisions that we're trying to make that could alter the entire course of our lives. There's even just regret that we carry from the decisions that we have made in the past. And we carry, as a result, the shame that comes along with some of that regret. And it, and it just feels so often like it increases our anxiety. Then Jesus comes along and and he says in Matthew chapter 6, says it so simply, so, so frankly, he says, hey, I, I want you all to know, like, you know you don't have to worry about your life, right? Like, you, you don't, like, I don't, I don't, in fact, I don't, I don't want you to worry about your life, he says, what you're going to eat or drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. You know, life's a lot more than food, and your body's a lot more, you know, it's a lot more than some of these decisions that we're making. In fact, it's right here in Matthew 6, where we start to, where we start in the Gospels to identify the genius of Jesus, because he, he points out so beautifully the relationship between our treasure and worry, the things we carry about, things we care about, and, and the things we, we worry about. You know that worry, anxiety, or stress? Catch this. This is, this is important to understand. Like, those things in our life, those emotions, they're a litmus test of what you treasure or what you love the most, because you will undoubtedly you will worry about what you love, or you will worry about the things that you worship, so to speak. Because here, here, here it is. Your worry really is just misplaced worship. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. It's sort of a different message for a different day. We're not going to dive too deep into that. But let me, just, let me just unpack it just a little bit so that we can better understand kind of where we're going. If you worship money... And you would never say, none of, us would, none of us would come in here this morning and, hey, let's pass the microphone around. And if you worship money, go ahead and confess your sin this morning. Like, no, like, we wouldn't do that. It'd be really weird. But if, but if you do, like, if you worship money, like, if that's your, kind of, that's your end game, like, you're going to worry about the economy more than average. Like, you're, you're going to worry about whether you get a raise. You're going to worry about the market in our city, your savings, retirement account, your, your stock investments. If you worship success or fame, you're going to worry, like, what if I'm average? What if I'm normal? What if I don't stand out from the crowd? What if my idea, my startup, my dream never gets momentum? But hear me, if you worship Jesus, you won't have a whole lot to worry about. Because the thing about anxiety, not all of the time, but most of the time, the thing about anxiety is that you have to trace it back to the source, trace it back to its Roots. And the odds are that something or someone is there that does not go by the name Jesus. Something's become the center of your desires and concerns that is not Jesus. And so Jesus goes on then in Matthew 6, 34, and he says, so, so once again, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Like, you don't have to worry about the things in the future that you have very little control about, that you are so stressed and anxious about. For tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Each day kind of, come on, we know this. It, it kind of has enough trouble of its own. But again, 
Jesus, that, that sounds good. <laughs> but, but like if we just closed up shop right now, if we just said, well, you know what? Amen, you are dismissed. We'd all be like, Drew, that's a lot easier said than it is done. Let me take this just a little bit further because Jesus knew he knew, and the reason why he shares with us, hey, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, is because he knew that worry, fear, anxiety would have all sorts of negative and compounding effects on your life. In fact, the Mayo Clinic just released a study a couple years ago where, where they, they identified just briefly how worry and anxiety has, has an effect on your body, has, has effects on your mood, and then on your behavior, and just kind of an overarching glance, we see, and you've experienced this. I, I know you have. I have too. In the last two and a half years, it's been easy to experience a, a lot of these things. The more we worry, we, we start to feel like, man, I, just, I, I constantly have headaches. The more, the more stressed you are, you just constantly have headaches. Like, I, I began to identify this about a year ago, where I'm like, man, I, just, I, I feel like I got a headache all the time now. And it came back to the fact that like, I was worrying about a lot of stuff that I, I really didn't have any business worrying about. You start to feel muscle tension, pain, fatigue. You, you have trouble sleeping, upset stomach. It, it affects your mood. You become distracted, anxious, restless. Come on, like you've seen this in your spouse, haven't you? Like don't, don't like, right now, like some of you are tempted. You're like, you know that's you, right? Like, you're, you're, you're kind of always getting on my nerves because you're always overwhelmed. You're irritable, angry. You start to grow kind of sad and depressed. It affects our behavior. We start, I'm supposed to say, overeating and undereating, but instead it says overheating and underheating. <laughs> and maybe you do, maybe you overheat. Like, it's like a car driving down the highway. You're like, it's too stressed. Like, you gotta slow down. Like, you know? That works too, that works too. Maybe we can change that for second service. <laughs> you start to have angry outbursts. You start to misuse and abuse alcohol a little bit. Or, you, you kind of look for, that, look for that outlet and start to kind of just binge on Netflix or some other similar, maybe a social media escape. You exercise less often, less often. you withdraw from, from social settings. We, we see like worry, it, it has some really profound negative impacts on your life. So when Jesus says don't worry, he's not just saying, hey, don't worry about anything. He's saying, no, no, like I, I designed your body in such a way that it's not, it's not made to carry that stress that you're carrying. It's not made to carry that fear that you've been carrying. Like, it, it doesn't work. It's, just, it's not made, it's not designed, it's not, it's not meant to function that way. You, you know what I'm saying? Let me take this just even one step further now. In the mid-20th century, there was a Jewish rabbi, Christian psychologist by the name of Edwin Friedman, and a lot of his work has sort of come to the surface in the last couple years now. In fact, there's been a book most recently by Mark Sayers, who is, it's a great book. He's a pastor out of Australia, and he really kind of took a lot of Edwin Friedman's work and studies, and he kind of put it into some modern language, because much of what Edwin Friedman was talking about is about 45 or 50 years old now, but Edwin Friedman had identified, he did a lot of work on, on this idea of anxiety, and he identified what he simply called, and what some modern Christian psychologists now call Edwin Friedman's vicious cycle of anxiety. Because our world is becoming increasingly more anxious. Like, we're not, we're not going, like, 
we're not becoming more and more peaceful. Like things are becoming, our lives are becoming more and more calm. And you don't have to look too far beyond just social media to identify that it doesn't look much different in the church than it does outside of the church. We are all experiencing a lot of these same emotions. But Edwin Friedman identified that there's sort of, there's this sort of inertia, like this push forward of anxiety within our culture, and the cycle isn't being broken, it's just actually perpetuating itself more and more and more. And he said it begins with sort of just reactivity. Something happens. We experience pain or a problem in our world, and maybe you can, I, I know you can identify this, and we just simply react to it. Without a whole lot of like contemplative, intentional thought, we just sort of say, oh, oh my gosh, it's terrible. In all of our, we just kind of get all up in our emotions. We just react to it. And, and, and really kind of the 24-7 news cycle today makes its living off of instantly reacting. And then we all in return, and really they make their living because it's clickbait. And then we all in return just instantly react too. And then, then he said it, it turns into what he called a hurting instinct. Contrary to this idea that we are like hyper-individualistic and we all want to be an original of ourselves, the reality is as much as we try to be different, we all kind of naturally lean into a certain tribe of sorts or, or, or an ideology or a political party or, or a certain community. And most of the time, we identify most quickly, not with our faith community, but with some other community outside of of who we are as followers of, of Christ. And, and as a result, we all then react the same way. And it kind, of, it kind of creates this heightened level of anxiety then because the third thing, what Edwin Friedman says, is we then experience blame displacement. Now, Mark Sayers, most really recently in his book that he released just last year, as he started talking about this cycle, he, he said this, and quote, he said, instead of examining and searching out the underlying causes creating toxicity, we focus on the symptoms, viewing them in isolation instead of seeing them as part of the whole system. Rather than taking a proactive approach that examines our ability to affect change in areas over which we have a responsibility, we retreat into a perpetual victim status, blaming others and external forces. So in other words, rather than looking at ourselves and saying, well, what difference, how can I make a difference? We point the finger and we say, well, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's if they would just change, if they would just think differently. And he concludes by saying, as blame is thrown around, a cultural paralysis sets in, a suffocating fear of offending, suffocating fear of being canceled, creates a gridlock which prevents renewal or prevents change. So he goes on, and Edwin Friedman says, so we instantly just sort of react without intelligently thinking, we then just kind of do whatever our, whatever the popular bias is telling us to do or whatever we want to lean into the most or however we can maybe even appear the most original. We just kind of lean into our hurt instinct. Then we all just start blaming everybody. And then we just look to a quick fix mentality. Woo. I'm telling you, this is, this is just kind of what happens all the time right now. Like we, we're like, well, what we really need to do, let me tell you, I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to tell you the solution right now in 140 characters or less. You're like, come on. Like, we're trying to, we have these, we, we, we fall prey. Don't, don't, don't let the enemy convince you of this. We fall prey that these long, complex problems can be fixed with these short, uncomplicated solutions. And it just, 
It doesn't work that way. I'm telling you, church, it does, and you know that. Like you, you, you know that. And then fifth, what happens is, quote, Edwin Friedman's line here, he says, we, have a, we lack well-differentiated leadership, which is really becoming a buzzword in psychology today that simply means we lack people who separate themselves just a little bit from the emotion of what's happening and think intelligently about what would Jesus do in this situation? What would it look like to become more like Christ in this situation? And that's what we want to do as, as a church, as a community. Our, our goal, like a third of our vision is to become more like Jesus. We want to be with him, become like him, and do what Jesus would do. So, so what's the solution? Well, Friedman and a lot of others are now saying, here's what we got to do. To end this cycle, he says, we've got to, we've got to inject in the middle of it a non-anxious presence. And here's kind of really, really where, where, where I want to kind of go t- today, just with the remaining 10, 12 minutes that I've got. I, I want us to catch this. And I'm, I'm really praying today. God, like I'm praying that we get this today, that, that we, we would identify how do we embody this right here. Now, I don't, I don't have a great, I don't have a great transition point right here. I just simply want to say it like this. The non-anxious presence that is most needed in our world is Jesus. Like, there's, there's no fancy, cute way to say it. Like, there's no way for me, I don't know how to say it right now other than like, like our world needs Jesus because Jesus is the non-anxious presence that breaks the cycle of this habitual, increasing anxiety that's happening both in our lives and all around the world. We, we see over and over in the scriptures, Jesus embodied himself with this, this, this non, in this non-anxious way. There's this Japanese theologian, uh, Kozuke Koitama. He, he wrote a book called The Three Mile, Three Mile Per Hour God. It was all about Jesus. And he was identifying that three miles per hour is the average speed at which we walk and that Jesus just walked everywhere that he went. He just was never anxious. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just, I'm so busy. Like, no, he was just like, oh, wait, hey, somebody's grabbing my, he, somebody's like holding on to the hem of my, my cloak right now. I know I'm going, I know I'm on my way right now to like heal a boy who's about to die, but like, let me, let me see what's going on here. Like, he just, hey, did you grab my, did you, did you kind of grab my cloak? Uh, yeah, I did. Cool, let's talk about that for a little bit. The disciples are like, Jesus, uh, uh, sir, uh, you first committed to this appointment over here? And, uh, and, and excuse me, but, um, but like, he might die. Yeah, yeah, I know, but like, if he does, even gonna be, gonna be an even cooler miracle, you know? Like, hey, what's going, like, I got time for you. Like, I got time for you. Matthew 14, Mark chapter four, Jesus is in a storm. Two different storms, and the disciples in these moments, they're freaking out because the storm was going to sink their little tiny boat. And in both situations, Jesus is like, hey guys, hey guys, don't be afraid. Like it's, 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 going, it's going to be okay, guys. Like, I, like, I've, got, like I, I've got this. You guys, are, you guys are too stressed out right now. And here's, what I wanna, here's what I want to give to us today. Here's kind of some good news. The chaotic times in which we live, they're an opportunity. In fact, I think they're a beautiful opportunity, not a threat, but they're a beautiful opportunity to renew Christ followers, to really best identify Jesus 
followers. See, the good news is that Christians, you and I, we were made for times like the seasons in which we live right now. Like you were made for this season. Like you and I were born for such a time as today. And catch this, our world is in desperate need of Jesus followers who live in love with a non-anxious presence. Our world is in desperate need of Jesus followers who can separate themselves from the herd, separate themselves from the blame, and insert themselves as a non-anxious presence. So other people are like, man, you, you live different than what I've seen. Why aren't you stressed the way that everybody else is stressed? Imagine with me for a moment if suddenly uh, this curtain right over here just caught on fire. Like it just went up in flame. And none of you had seen it. I was the first one to recognize it. And I saw the curtain start catching on fire and, and Jamie Schistler's down here, one of our stewardship team members. And, and I'm like, oh my God, Jamie, Jamie. The curtain's on fire! And the rest of you are like, what? The curtain's on fire? The curtain's on fire. The curtain's on fire. The curtain's on fire. The whole Guys, the place is going to light up in flames! And then Jamie recognized like my idiot, idiotic stuff. Idioticies. Idiocracies. Is that a real word? Do you ever say words and you're like, is that, is that a real word? You know? The, to, And Jamie realized, like, okay, Jordan's freaking out. Like, he's lost his cool right now. And Jamie just, he just calmly stood up and said, hey, everybody, everybody, hey, hey. Yes, Jordan's correct. The curtain's on fire. However, there are three X's to your back, two to your front. If you have kids, go down the hallway. They'll get your kids for you. All of us meet outside on the front lawn. We'll see you all soon. Get to it. Who all? Who all would be like listening to me in that moment? And who all would be listening to Jamie in that moment? Like Jamie in that moment would have just established himself as the non-anxious presence that was needed in that chaotic time. And I'm telling you right now, like what our world needs is more Christ followers who understand how to have a non-anxious presence. So, so how do we do that? Well, just kind of two quick points. And, just two really quick points. One of them I'm going to land on here, but first thing we got to do is we got to understand, we just read this a moment ago in worship, but how do we become the non-anxious presence? We got to make Jesus our shepherd. What I'm not saying right here, and so, so don't confuse this, what I'm not saying right here is that you got to make, you got to commit your life to Jesus Christ and allow him to forgive you of all your sins, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm assuming that most of you have already done that, and, and if you haven't, you have an opportunity today, and we would, we would love to invite you in that in that opportunity. It's the greatest decision you're ever going to make. It really is. But, but what, I, what I'm saying is that you can be a Christian, but not necessarily be a follower of Jesus, and him not actually be your, your shepherd. David said it as we read a moment ago. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I've got everything that I need. See, Jesus even identified himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd, over and over throughout the scriptures, we see this, this metaphor of, of us as Christians being sheep and as our Lord Jesus Christ being, being our shepherd. And what he's telling us in that metaphor is that he has to be everything to you and everything to me. See, when the Bible talks about people as sheep, 
Unfortunately, it's not really that flattering. Like, it, it, the Bible's not trying to put you down. It's not even trying to be facetious. But, but you do got to kind of understand, like, there are wild animals, right? Like, there's wild dogs, and there's wild cats, and there's wild horses. But, but you're not going to find wild sheep, at least not for very long anyway. If you give a, a, normal, a normal animal freedom, like if you, if you set a horse free on an 80,000 acre ranch in Texas, that horse is gonna come alive, like in a way that it's not fully alive when it's on like a two acre fenced in like area. Like it just, it'll just come alive, right? Well, well, if you set a sheep loose, what's a sheep do? It dies. Like you just, there are no wild sheep. And so the, the metaphor is intentional because the shepherd is the sheep's protector, provider, physician, guide, and owner. The shepherd is everything to the sheep. Consider what that means. We could teach an entire series on this right here. The Lord being our shepherd is everything the shepherd is everything to the sheep. And I think we like the sound of the Lord being our shepherd. You know, we read that at funerals or we hear that spoken of. We're like, oh, yep, yep, he's my shepherd. That's my guy. But I don't think we always like the truth of it, the reality of it. Because most of us don't really want a shepherd. What we really want is a consultant. We want somebody who comes when we want them to come. A shepherd is different. A shepherd never leaves a shepherd recognizes your desire for autonomy and says, yeah, but you weren't made to be autonomous. A shepherd recognizes that you're prone to kind of go do your own thing, but a shepherd says, yeah, but you're not supposed to do your own thing. So, so I'm never going to leave you. In fact, David goes on then in Psalm 23 and he says, Lord's my shepherd. I got everything that I need. He lets me. Some translations say he makes me rest in green meadows. Like he, he's that good to you. That he, he's like, hey, I, I got a place for you to rest over here. I know, I know things have kind of been crazy in your life, but like slow down for just a moment. He, he leads me beside peaceful streams. Now David himself, the author of this psalm, was a shepherd. And so David knew exactly what he was talking about. Even when he uses this, this, this isn't a metaphor to David when he says that God, that, that, that our Lord leads us beside peaceful streams because a sheep would go up to a stream whose water was just gushing so fast and it put its big old furry head down into the stream and the water would kind of hit the sheep's head and it would just, bah, just take the sheep with it and the sheep would then go down to the rapids and so then the shepherd or David in this case, would have to take his staff, this long shepherd's crook, and he'd grab the sheep. And he'd, Come on, I got you, I got you. He'd pull that sheep out of the out of the raptor, out of the rapids. And 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 so what David is saying here is he said, Hey, but but your 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 shepherd, he's gonna lead you to the peaceful streams. That's how that's how good he is. He's gonna renew your strength. He's going to guide you along the right paths. He's going to bring honor to his name because everything the shepherd does is for your good and for his glory. For your good and for his glory. For your good and not for your glory, but for his glory. So he says he, he's, going to lie, he's going to guide you along the right paths so that he can bring honor to his name. Not just so that you can be, oh, look at me, I'm great. I've done my own thing, I'm self-made. No, he says, I, I actually want you to point people to me, not, not to you, so that you can bring honor to 
to my name. Then he goes on, he says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I won't be afraid. We talked about this just briefly on Mother's Day. He says, because you're, you're close beside me. Your rod, which is used for protection, it would be like a heavy club that a shepherd would use to kind of fend off lions or bears or other predators coming for the sheep. Your staff, which we mentioned a moment ago, was used for guidance, will protect and they will comfort me. And then he says this, and here's the line. Here's the line where we're going to close with. He says, you... You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. How do we become a non-anxious presence that our world needs so desperately? First, we, we got to make Jesus our shepherd. And then secondly, we got to see the table and we got to sit at it. David says this. It's a, it's a line that always sort of like befuddled me in one sense. Like God, he makes a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Imagine of this kind of this, like, like life and all the fears of life, the anxiety of life, the worries and the cares, the concerns of life. Imagine if that's, that's your proverbial enemies. And what David says here in Psalm 23 is that no matter what, no matter what season of life you find yourself in, your shepherd always has a table for you and he wants you to sit at that table and just, just rest it. Like he has prepared a table for you and for me. But he wants us to slow down and to sit at that table. No matter where you find yourself at in life, if you will just stop running from God and actually slow down and turn and acknowledge God, you will recognize that there is a table that your shepherd has prepared for you. And it, I'm telling you, it is good. Because your shepherd knows exactly what you need, even when you don't know exactly what you need. And I don't know if you ever found yourself in that situation before where you're like, somebody says, how you doing? I'm not, I'm not doing so good. Well, what do you need? I, I don't really know. Your shepherd always knows what you need. And he's prepared a table for you to feast at to experience something at that table that you cannot experience anywhere else. That you can experience in a good novel, and that's good. You can experience with great friends, and that's great. You can only experience at the table that he has prepared for you. He's like, hey, I, I, want, you to, I want you to feast at that table, and oh, by the way, I'm gonna sit at that table too. Like he has pulled up a chair for you and for me. Well, Jesus, this looks really good. Like, you got a little charcuterie board here and some crackers and hummus and some grapes, purple grapes too. They're my favorite. I don't really like green, but I love purple. That's really good, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you even got, oh, he knows you so good. You, you got me some black raspberry pellegrino. That's my favorite, Jesus. How'd you know? Oh, I just know. I know. Somebody told me. Who told you? Me. But you know what we usually want to do, though? Let me see your phone, Weston. What we usually want to do, though, is we're like, okay, yeah, life is busy, and it's chaotic, and okay, so, all right, okay, okay, I wake up in the morning, I pull up my Bible app, I see the verse of the day. Ooh, that's a good verse of the day, yep. Okay, I'm going to feast on that for about three seconds, and then I'm going to go on with my day. You, you know what most of us want to do is we... 
We're like, oh, whoa, Jesus, you, that's a yeah, table, that, is that for me? Yeah, that's for you, son. Whoo, that looks good. You did it right. Yeah, because I, I know you. Yes, you do. Look at that. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's good, Jesus. All right, all right. Yeah, you know what I think I'm going to do, Jesus? I'm going to take a picture of that. I'm going to post that. Yeah. Feasting at the table at... Uh, Jehovah Jireh? Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> Jehovah. Okay, great. Jesus, that's so good. Wow. Hey, you got, you got a to-go container I can take with me? Yeah. I think, yeah, I'll just, I'll just take a couple of these with me if that's cool. Yeah, let me just take this. Yep, great. All right. I'll see you. I'll see you later. I'll see you later. All right. Whew, that was good. And then we just sort of go on our on our way and we don't just slow down what Jesus wants of us in order to become the non-anxious presence what Jesus wants of us I just want to sit here Jesus um, life's crazy right now I got some big decisions I'm trying to make and, and, and I feel like there's some expectations on me that um, I'm not living up to, and I feel a lot of regret. Um, I don't know, Jesus, I'm just not sure what to do. It's gonna be okay though, son. You think so? Yeah, it's, it's gonna be okay, son. Jesus, um, I'm kinda stepping into a new season, and I'm kind of excited about it, but like, I just don't feel like I'm good enough for it. I, like, I, we just had a new baby and I feel really insufficient. I, all my kids are grown now and out of the house. I'm just not sure how to transition the season. There's so many mistakes and regrets I've made from my past. And I just, no, you're, you're good enough. I made you good enough. I made you, I'm, I designed you for this. Um, Jesus, I'm, I'm really concerned about the future. There's just, a, it just feels like the world is like, it's just, it's kind of crazy right now. I'm kind of concerned about the future that my kids are going to grow up in. I'm concerned about the future that my grandkids are going to, I'm just, I'm concerned about my own personal future. And now I'm just contemplating buying like the biggest deep freezer ever. And you know what I'm saying? Like that was a joke, but. And I think that Jesus is saying in that moment, like your best is yet to come. How, how, how do you really know that though, Jesus? I started thinking about this. I think anxiety for me, for me, maybe this will resonate with you, but anxiety starts to increase in my life when I start to imagine the future without Jesus in it. When I start to imagine the future with just kind of, I, I got this, okay, 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 I can do this. If I discipline myself enough, if I work hard enough, I, I can do this. And every time that I do, I kind of talk myself into it for a moment and then, and then it just feels like I have more anxiety than I had before. Because I'm imagining the future like without Jesus, without Jesus in it. And I think for so many of us, 
What's required of us today is that we will just slow down and receive the invitation of Jesus to sit at the table so that he can remind you, hey, I'm still with you even in your future. It's not that we minimize the pain as we mentioned a moment ago, but it's that we magnify the presence of our shepherd. It's in those moments where we sit and we feast at his table that we begin to realize like, oh God, like you, you really are bigger than me, aren't you? And not just me, but like of, of anything that's going on in this world. A couple months ago, a friend of mine and I, we were talking on the phone, we talk about once a week and one of my closest friends and he said, hey Jordan, how you doing? I was like, good man, how are you? He said, well, how much time do you have? And I thought to myself, like, what are you about to share with me? And I said, I got some time. What about you? He's like, I got some time too. He says, how are you really doing? Oh, this is about me. Yeah. How are you really doing? I just get this sense, Jordan, that you're not doing so good. <laughs> well, who are you to tell me? I'm doing great, man. Blessed and highly favored, brother. Like, <laughs> how are you really doing, Jordan? And I said this line to him. I said, I don't know. I don't know how I'm doing. I'm trying to figure that out right now, actually. I'm trying to figure out what's going on inside of me. I'm just trying to figure this out. Just, you ever been there before where you, somebody's like, how you doing? And you think to yourself like, that's kind of a deep question. I'm not really sure how I'm doing. And it was just kind of, it just sort of dawned on me later that day after I was kind of just reflecting on the conversation that every time that I sit down at the table with Jesus, never will you sit at the table with Jesus and Jesus say to you, how you doing? And you say to him, I don't know. And him say back to you, well, you need to get away from my table then. No, you're going to sit at the table and say, I, I don't know, Jesus, I'm not sure really how I'm doing. Can, can I tell you something, son? Yeah, sit here longer with me. Because I'm telling you, like, I, I know the steps you need to take in your future. I, I designed you for, with a specific plan in mind. And I, so just rest at the table. I was talking to another friend recently, and he was just kind of talking through some of the challenges he's facing in life. And I just said, hey, 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 slow down, slow down. What's your Bible reading look like? What's your prayer life look like right now? And, and he said, oh man, like I just, I really, I just haven't had time. I said, look, if you're too busy to read your Bible, if you're too busy to pray, I'm telling you, you're just way too busy. You're just way too busy. It's the only thing that will ground you and that will center you on who Jesus is. Not to check it off of our list, but to grow in a relationship with him. Your shepherd wants you to slow down, is giving you permission to slow down. You doing more is not going to accomplish more of God's plan in your life. Somebody needs to hear this right now. You doing less will accomplish more of God's plan in your life. Too many times the reason why we are growing weary is because we are doing too much of the wrong stuff. And we are allowing some of the peripheral pressures of life to creep into our lives. And we find ourselves doing things that God never told you to do. You find yourself worrying about things that God never wants you to worry about. You find yourself stressed about stuff that God never wanted you to take on himself. Just sit and learn to feast at the table. You know what this looks like for me? Every morning, I wake up 
and I find myself in my basement. I've got this little crawl space of sorts underneath the stairs in my basement, and I call it my thin place. It's the thin place between heaven and earth for me. And it's where I come to encounter God. In in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, Moses said that he would go into the tent of meeting. He would meet face to face with God. And I have that scripture posted on 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 one of my steps. And so as soon as I walk into that space, every time I think, God, I want to meet with you face to face right now. This is is the table that you have set for me so that I can be the non-anxious presence you've called me to be. So I can lead in such a way that is honoring to you that we don't just keep perpetuating the cycle of anxiety in our own life and in the world. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, church, like, the world needs you. You were made for this. You were born for such a time as this season that you are in right now. I'll close with this thought right here. Dallas Willard passed away in 2013, one of the great Christian scholars of our day. He was asked by John Mark Homer, who some of you are from familiar with. He was asked, he was asked, what do I need to live a spiritually healthy life? And Dallas Willard said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Mark tells a story of how he expected Dallas Willard to say any number of things, but he was not expecting that. What do I need to live a spiritually healthy life? You need to learn how to drink from the peaceful stream, how to sit at the table that God has prepared just for you. I want to read Psalm 23 over you, over our church this morning, whether you're online or in the room. And I want to just invite you to close your eyes for just a moment as I read this over you. And I don't think that I have some unique authority to speak this over your life. However, I do just feel this sense this week as I was praying for today, that this was the direction the Lord wanted to take us. And as your pastor, if you allow me to this morning, I want, I want these words to sink deep as I personalize them for you. So use your imagination to picture these words, the word of God in your life today. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not be in want. God, our Lord, will make you lie down in green pastures. He's going to lead you beside the quiet, still, peaceful waters. He's going to restore your soul. He guides you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when you walk through the valley that just feels so dark, so grim, the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil. Because you can rest assured that your shepherd, your Lord, is with you. And that his rod and his staff, they comfort you. And they will continue to comfort you. Your shepherd has prepared a table before you in every season of your life. In the very presence of your enemies. He will anoint you. He will anoint you with oil, which is a symbol of his Holy Spirit. Your cup will continue to overflow so that you can be a blessing to those around you. And surely God's goodness and God's love will follow you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord, being reminded of him forevermore. Continue with your heads bowed. Just reflect in this moment, just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And just say, if you'd be comfortable, if you'd be willing, just simply say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with what I just heard? And allow the Spirit of God to speak to you this morning. Allow this, in one sense, to be the table that God has set for you today. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would comfort, 
that where someone needs a physician, you would heal, that where someone needs guidance, you would lead, that when someone needs to feel your protection, you'd give peace, when someone's unsure of your love, you'd lavish it upon them.